0: Have a seat, everybody. This morning, uh, let's. I want to pray again, if we could, before we get into the heart of what, what we're going to get to this morning. Uh, God, we come before you, and Father, my heart is grateful for the worship that you've just allowed us to engage you with, Father. God, I, I, my, my soul is thirsty for you, God. Lord, you're leading my heart to hunger and thirst for you. Father, I, I've been here for a while and, and I've I'm thankful to you for the last few minutes of making the, the exclamations to you in the songs that we've just sang, God. Thank you that it's, that it's truth that we proclaim. I thank you that it's nourishment to my soul, Father. God, I thank you for this communion with you, God, that we get to interact and engage. Just be with you, Father. Lord, I thank you for the joy that's found there. Thank you for the contentment that's found there. God, I pray that as, as you lead me to this place, God, that you would lead us all to the place of of. A thirst that's quenched only by you and your presence, Father. Lord, and as you've wrestled with me this week, God, I, I pray that you would continue the transformation of, of my heart and, and all of our hearts, God. And as we dig into your word this morning, that we would all be transformed, Father. That we'd be changed, God. their hearts would only be satisfied with you. And Lord, for, for those in, God, I, I don't want to pretend that maybe there's some in this room whose hearts are not in that place, God, and, and it's a dark and dry time, God. I pray for transformation. God, I confess before you and before those people that are there, God, that that was my heart just a few days ago. God, we want to be real and we want to be honest with each other and we want to be real and honest with you, God. Transform us, change us. Commune with us. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that indwells us and transforms and changes us, God. We we thank you. We give all our praise and our worship to you in Christ's name. Uh, so, James is where we're going to start out with. But We're going to be in a bunch of different places this morning, and the stuff's going to be on the screen above me. Uh, but before we get there, for, for those of you who are, are visiting with us today, this is the, the third of three messages on this idea of, of homosexuality and, and engaging the culture and the question the culture is asking. One of the important roles of a church that is concerned about affecting the culture is to, that that church needs to listen to the questions the culture is asking and then respond to those questions in a biblical way, all right? So really the the motivation then is twofold. is one, to respond to those questions, but probably just because of, of who we are and where we find ourselves and the, the demographics of, of North Church, probably the, the bigger, more profound reason that we're here doing these is so that we, as as people living in this culture, can have an answer to the questions that culture is asking. And what I mean is your neighbor, the the person who shares a cubicle with you, uh, your your brother, your sister, your uncle, so that we can have this ready, reflex type of response to the questions that culture is asking, all right? And so that's sort of the the big grand theme of the why we engaged in this three-part series. And more than that, why this message this morning to help us to have that answer. Um, so, w- w- having said that, I want to say this to the one who wrestles with the sin of homosexuality, and to the one who is engaging a culture who is wrestling with the sin of homosexuality that's asking this question this is what I believe the biblical response to that question, to the one who is, who is actually wrestling, or to the one who is a missionary to a culture who is wrestling with that question. Whether you're gay or straight, it doesn't matter. You've got to be an idiot not to realize that culture is wrestling and struggling with this concept. And what does Scripture, what does God have to say about it? Here's what I believe Scripture and God has to say about homosexuality. There's nothing to the gay community, there's nothing wrong with you that's not wrong with everybody else. Say that again. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be misheard. To the gay community, whether you're gay listening to this or whether you want to engage the, the gay community, this is the response of Scripture. There's nothing wrong with you that's not wrong with everybody else. And that's got to be so ingrained into our brains that it's the reflex Of us. There's what I mean is that there's a brokenness inside of every one of us. Every single one of us, there's a brokenness. Since our conception, and it's a remnant of the fall. We talked about it in the first one, the first message, and and go back and and check out the podcast. This would be something good for us to do to, to hang on to these messages because this question will not die in a month. When, when people aren't boycotting Chick-fil-A anymore, this question will still remain, all right? And so we need to be able to have this as a, as a reflex. But ultimately, there's a brokenness inside of each of us. It's been there since the conception, and it's the remnant of the fall. And it's a craving in each one of us, a craving in each of us, that causes us to try to satisfy our cravings outside of the way that God has designed for our cravings to be satisfied. My, my prayer just a minute ago, I, I talked about this thirst that's been inside of me and this dryness. And like on Tuesday and Wednesday, the last thing I wanted to do was study scripture and, and prepare this message and, and even read scripture. That was just, I just was, just didn't feel like it. Can we be honest with each other? We've probably all been there. Probably all been there in the last two weeks. That's where I was Tuesday, Wednesday. And most of Thursday. But the satisfaction that my my soul found five minutes ago, and we're singing 10,000 Reasons, is the craving that God placed in my heart and in my soul, this thirst that he has in us. And it will be satisfied in him. But this curse that we all wrestle with, this curse that I just spoke of. There's nothing wrong with anyone in the gay community that's not also wrong with me. That's this curse that we seek to satisfy these thirsts that our soul have, these, these cravings that we have. We seek to satisfy them outside of the ways that God has ordained, that God has invented, that God has created for our souls to be satisfied. And that's called Sin. When we seek to satisfy the cravings of our soul in ways outside of God's provision, that's called sin. For some of us, the manifestations of this craving are different. For some of, the, for some of us, the manifestations of our cravings are to want to have sex with people of our own sex. For some of us, it's, these cravings are alcoholism, lust, adultery, anything, anything that that you wrestle with, and we'll talk in in Hebrews later about the the sin that easily entangles us. Every one of us have something. If I said to you, what is the sin that you've been wrestling with since like high school? What is that sin? Probably it'll pop right into your mind, without much thought. This is it. This is the struggle that we're in, that we're in the midst of, that we have to come to grips with. And We're going to see in 1 Corinthians here in just a second how God and and Paul rebukes us for rebuking culture without rebuking ourselves. And that's the reflex that I want us to, to get to. That any rebuke that we have for culture or for somebody else is the same rebuke that we place on ourselves. That we hold everyone to the same standard we're holding to ourselves. Um, James 1, 14-15, this will be on, on the screen above you, um, above me, verses 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death." What these verses are talking about is really what what I've just been been talking about here. And I want you to to know that these verses appear in the context of James teaching his church about temptation and how to wrestle and deal with temptation. And I want to say this, that physical acts are really just the end of the sin. What this is teaching us here is that sin is born... In our, in our minds. Let's, let's look back at, at what this says, and then we'll, we'll talk about this word desire, which is where sin is born. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Do you see where the temptation and the luring is born? It's born in your desire. You see that in verse 14? Then desire when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. So sin that's in us is birthed, it's conceived. Conception of sin is right there in every one of us. And, okay, let's let's think about now this word desire. It is translated in other places and probably better translated as as lust. All right? So, and, and a lust is a thirst for the forbidden, a craving for the forbidden. Does that ring true to what I just what I've been talking about for 3 weeks? What I just said in the kind of the opening here? Sin is we want to we want to provide for our cravings outside of the way God has intended us to 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 have them provided for. And here this lust that is in every one of us, that's where sin is born in this craving this desire for the forbidden. Every one of us experiences it. Um, I want to be, be clear, though, those who, who, sh- who hear this, who struggle with same-sex attraction or struggle with homosexuality and, and to those who, who attempt to speak the truth to those people, Nothing is wrong with anyone in the homosexual community that is not also wrong with us. We all have a problem that leads us to lust, that leads us to crave the forbidden. And this is this is a huge, huge point that the gay community and the church, on mission to the gay community and to the culture really, has to fully comprehend in a way that's, that's a reflex for us. But here's... Here's the good news to that. I've, this difficult problem that we all wrestle with, the good news to this problem is God has provided for this problem. He's provided his son in the accomplished work on the cross to bring us to a place where we are justified. We'll talk more about justification in a bit. I, I, if you've been here much, long, you, you know that I don't like to use religious words without defining what they mean, because I don't want you to think something about justification that's not true, and I, I want you to, to fully understand what it means to be justified. So the finished work of cross leaves us justified, leaves us with our ticket to heaven. But not only that, the finished work of the cross doesn't just give us our ticket to heaven, it also gives us this thing called sanctification. And that's where we'll spend most of our time this morning, talking about what it means to be sanctified, and what it means to pursue being sanctified. It's a not-yet-but-already sort of idea. Like, it's, it's a present reality for us that we are sanctified when we are in Christ. But it's also a reality that we are pursuing our sanctification. And we'll talk about what that means, but, but really, it just means how to defeat sin in your life. And that's this process of sanctification. And... The, the thing that I've, I've kind of really put a smile on my face this week about is this idea we're gathering here today, and you know we had the, you know the deal with like chick-fil-a and sex culture and Bible and, and all that stuff and this homosexuality, gay marriage conversation that's happening. I believe that it's just like God to, to bring this up, to get us all lathered up in this weird and, and, and crazy and, and intense, these debates that are happening. I believe that, that it's just like God to bring that debate up, not to teach us what he has to say about homosexuality, but instead what he has to teach us about our sin and our desperate need for him. Every one of us. So we think we're trying to pursue this understanding about what does God have to say about homosexuality when, in fact, God wants us to pursue, here's what I have to say about sin, and here's what I've provided to you to defeat sin. And so we'll talk about that. God is giving us the tools to defeat sin. So 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 9 through 11, that will form the, the bulk of our, our text this morning, uh, and it's going to be on the screen above me here in just a second. Let's read it. <clears throat> Before we get there, this is Paul authoring Corinthians, authoring a letter to a church in a town called Corinth. So if you lived in Corinth, you were a Corinthian. This is Paul writing you a letter. Verse 9, chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. This is what is heard by many times in culture. We're out. I'm out. I can't be in the kingdom of God. This is what the homosexual community hears. I can't. I'm out. I can't be in the community of God. I can't be in the kingdom of God. But verse 11 says, is so powerful. And such were some of you. Basically, what's wrong with you is the same thing that's wrong with everybody else. And such were some of you. But you, you, Christian, you, follower of Jesus in Corinth, you, follower of Jesus in North County, You, Engager of the Culture War, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. I want to be clear here what's happened here. Washed, sanctified, and justified, we are all the passive agent. By passive agent, I mean we didn't do anything. We had something done to us, but we didn't do anything. What was done to us? We were washed. We were justified. We were sanctified. We'll look at what each one of those things. So, because this was done to us and not by us, we never, ever celebrate who we are. This 10,000 reasons for my heart to sing where I was in the back. I'm sorry for those of you that are kind of back there. I was singing loud, and I was singing bad. But that is, that is no celebration of anything that lies within Rick. It's only a celebration of a wonderful, wonderful and holy God who has sanctified and justified and washed me. We're all on this list. We're all on this list probably in the last two hours. Let's look. spend our time this morning looking at verse 11 because it's so beautiful. Go to the end first where it says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Ultimately, all these things that happened to you were happened to you because of what Jesus did. That's what in the name of Jesus means because of what Jesus did, All right? And then by the power of the Spirit of God, the energy, the motivator, the driving force, get a physics lesson here, the, the catalyst for the movement that happened in you is the Holy Spirit of God. Just, do you hear that? Catalyst of what's happened in you and what's happening in you and what will happen to you, the catalyst for that is the Holy Spirit of God. Your cleansing, your washing, your justification, your sanctification, all of that stuff happened and is happening by the Spirit of God. So, the gay and the straight are both thoroughly dependent upon mercy and grace. Do you hear that? want to jump, want to stand up on this and scream to the gay, to the straight. We're all thoroughly dependent upon the grace and mercy of God. And that's got to be, as we engage this culture, this screaming asking this question, desperate for someone to to speak to this. This is our reflex. You and I are both completely dependent upon the grace and mercy of God. Period. So what is this? Let's go back to the first part of verse 11 and, and look at each one of these things. Washed, sanctified, and justified. What does it mean to be washed? It's a spiritual cleansing from the guilt and power of sin. That's what it means to be washed. You were washed. Past tense. You were washed. You've been freed, spiritually freed and cleansed from the power of sin. Residing in you, let me state it another way, residing in you is the power to not sin. You were washed. Titus 3, 5. I want to, we're going to have some, some verses up here. I'm going to look to the side because I want to read these together with you. Titus 3.5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Again, throwing ourselves in the mercy of God. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. We have been washed. And we have been cleansed. And not cleansed. Now we have the ability to choose right, to choose God because of what has been done in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. The catalyst, the motivator, the energy. Think physics. An object at rest will stay at rest until it is met with another force. That outside force is the Holy Spirit of God moving us to be able to choose righteousness. This is massively important to us as we understand this process of sanctification. Secondly, I know it's... winds up third here, but we're going to spend more time with sanctified, so we're going to do justified before sanctified. Okay? So what it means to be justified. Flip that up. Romans 5 1. Romans 5 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This word justified is a legal term used in legal settings. Alright? Um, when you study languages, you study semantic domain. Semantic is just the way that words fit together. That's semantics. You know, you argue in semantics. It's, you're just arranging words to prove your argument. That's what's semantic. And domain is, is, where, is where you live. So words living, all right? Where the, where the words live is semantic domain. So when you study Scripture, when you study languages, study languages that are not your own, especially, you got to understand the semantic domain. The semantic domain for this word justified is in in a legal sense. So what's happened here to you, the semantic domain of justified is legally you've been rendered righteous. You've been rendered not guilty. Not just where the judge proclaims you to be not guilty, but everybody looks at you kind of like, yeah, you did it, you just beat the system. That's not this sort of... Justified. It is, your record is expunged. This didn't happen. Nobody looks at you cross-eyed. This is justified. The semantic domain is a courtroom of justified. Therefore, since we have been justified by our faith in Christ, it's trust and surrender, completely surrendering to who God is and completely trusting that he has our best interest and our best intent in mind. We have access to his faith. We have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that peace, that communion, that fellowship as we continue. But our last word to wrestle with is to be sanctified. Sanctified means the act of being made holy or being set apart by God and it's being sanctified and being made holy for a purpose. And here's um I was a youth group kid. Grew up in a youth group, and when somebody says like holy be holy, what I heard was be like the old lady in the second row of our church who doesn't have any fun. That's what I heard, and that's what the culture hears. But there's so much more to being holy. Here's here's what this word means, to be set apart by God, to, to be holy. As you were created, listen closely, please. This is massively important. It's the motivator. It's what drives us. It's the carrot that drives us to this sanctification, to this striving to be holy. Back in the garden when everything was good and Adam and Eve were engaged with one another and engaged with God, they were naked and unashamed. And I've, I've preached on this like a million times, I feel like, this idea of naked and unashamed. But I've preached on it a million times because it's so massively important for us. We've got to get back to this place. It's got to be the craving of our soul because the cravings that are in you are only satisfied by getting back to that place. Whenever you hear this idea of the kingdom of God... God is striving, sent his Son Jesus, to get us back to that moment in the garden when we 're naked and unashamed before our fellow man and before God, and what naked and unashamed means is just a, a complete just contentment and vulnerability. I am fully known and I 'm fully comfortable with being known and here's here's the thing guys. I think our church has created this, a bit of a culture that can be really dangerous because the culture that's here is we can wear shorts or flip-flops or, and, and we can engage in one another's lives and know the sin in people's lives. And so we think that we have this sort of naked and unashamed before each other and we convince ourselves that that's true. But there's still large, massive parts of us that hide from that. And that a really dangerous place to be in the Christian life is to think you're someplace that you're not. And I'm scared to death that that's where we are. I think I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, and I'm comfortable there, and I'll stay there until you look around and realize I am really thirsty. And I'm really cold. I don't see anybody. That's the danger of where we are when we think we have something that we don't have. And this is what all of this is about. Your justification, your being washed, your breath, the things that happen to you, the circumstances in your life. Do we really every single thing that happens to you is God moving and shaping and being sovereign and ordaining things so that we'll pay attention to the fact that he's trying to replace the sin in us with himself. He's trying to get us back to the place pre-fall in the garden where we're naked and unashamed before him and before each other. Known and fully known. Because that is the only place where every craving that we've ever had will be satisfied. So all that we do here. And we're wrestling with that. Every single thing that we do here has to be about getting us and back to that place, and then showing us how to be missionaries in this culture to get us to that place. That's the whole point of your existence. It's not to go play football and eat soup this afternoon. All the way, you guys are all welcome to come to my house. We'll eat football and play. Uh, we'll eat soup and play football, or or to have a job, or to the job that you want, or to, to belong to the, a perfect church, and all of that stuff is completely irrelevant. All of that are tools used to get us back to the, to the pre-fall garden, the kingdom of God reigning in our lives. And here's, we're all about this idea, this notion of being on mission in our culture, trying to bring the kingdom of God, plant roots of the gospel in this culture, and And Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. And he's about shaping this kingdom of God here in this culture. But more than that, before that, he's about placing the kingdom of God in our souls. And that's what all of this is about. And so we think we're arguing about homosexuality or gay marriage or whatever. Really, God just wants us to stop it and see what's in us. And sanctify us. So let's spend the last few minutes that we have together this morning trying to come to grips with this idea of of being sanctified, of being transformed. Not some church lady type of no fun holiness or sanctification, but this intense pleasure that you've never experienced where God is, is placing us. Romans six nineteen. These verses will be up here. Don't try to find them because I want you to engage what, what's being said through scripture, not flipping around Bible pages. Romans six nineteen. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Intentional pause. Natural limitations. Every one of us. Natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, there's nothing wrong with me that's not wrong with the culture. There's nothing wrong with a gay community that's not also wrong with me. That's what this is saying once again, the third time we've seen it in Scripture. That leads to more lawlessness. So now, present Your members, now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Ultimately, that's Paul's really smart, Romans is is a really great, but really deep and hard to comprehend book. But ultimately, what Paul is saying here is the Spirit of God gives you the power to change. Jesus has set you free from the power of sin so that you might participate in your sanctification. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. This is great, I love this. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. It's not born in me. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining there's two two verbs here that I want to, us to pay close attention to. One of them is straining. It's that's it's hard work. Straining forward to what lies ahead, and what lies ahead is communion with God. I press. This is a, 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 an effort work here. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The intensity of pleasure that's found on the other side of sanctification cannot be communicated by me. It can only be experienced. That's what this is teaching us. And this is the path to get there. This intense pleasure and joy. It's something that we, we strain towards, we press towards. It's a difficult task of being sanctified, but it's worth it. One more verse, two more verses, actually. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, verses that are familiar to you, but press through the familiarity. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and you just spent all of Hebrews 11 talking about the great saints of the faith, Noah, Moses, Abraham, right, okay? So since we've just talked about those guys, that's the cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Please, Take this verse in the context of, of, of our why we're gathered here today. If, if you are gay, or if you are engaging a community that is wrestling with this, please understand this verse. We, we struggle with something that's inside of us that's not supposed to be there. It's a sin and brokenness that makes us lust and crave the forbidden. Nobody's any different than anybody else. But God has washed us and justified us and sanctified us and we are participating in that process of sanctification so that we can lay aside the sin that easily entangles us. But here's here's the beautiful part about this verse. It's different from the other two we've talked about. The sins clings so closely. Maybe it's homosexuality. Maybe it's alcoholism. Maybe it's adultery. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's lust. Maybe, I don't know what it is in you, but you have a sin that clings closely to you. So let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's hard work. There will be times, some of you guys, I know Dave and Danielle and some of you others are, are training for this marathon, and, and there's a time in your training that you just got to press through because it's hard. You don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to run eight miles this morning. And, and you got to press through that. You got to learn to endure. This is what this is teaching us. Verse 2 is, is the thing that, that changes, is, is the thing that we've got to cling to in the midst of this difficulty looking to Jesus. How do we run this race? How do we lay aside the sin? Look to Jesus. He is the founder and he is the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me break that apart for us real quick. The reason... That Jesus endured the cross, pressed through the cross, pushed through all of that. And the motivator for us, the example that Christ has for us, is the joy that was set before him. Do you, here's the thing, you'll never participate in your sanctification until you realize that there is a joy that is set before you. Press into that. Press into that. Last verse. Probably more, most important verse. Luke 9, 23. And he said, this is Jesus. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This life this sanctification is about self-denial. We have to deny what's in us. This lust for the forbidden that's inside of us. Recently we did a series called Stories, The Grace of God on Display. We showed a video of of somebody who had had transformation in our life. I want to read you a few of these stories, just real quick, to show us the transforming power of God. The power of God is inside of you. The power of God that changed these people is inside of you. We could have renamed that series not stories the grace of God on display. We could have renamed the series the grace of stories sanctification on display, transformation on display. Amanda, a quest for significance and security centered to men and sex, but God transformed her and pursued her and changed her. Kai, difficulties, sex, abortion. A quote in her video is, I was desperate. I was grasping for anything that would validate me. She encountered a Jesus who does not condemn her, but sacrifices to bring her validation. Transformation happens. The kindness and patience of the Lord happened and transformed her. David Silverstein, abandoning parents, alcoholism, depression, anger, violence. Those are the things that shaped his life. But God entered into a situation and redeemed him and transformed all of that into a wonderful, loving husband and father today. Ben, prison, sex, drugs, alcohol choosing park benches over his home and his family. Years of turning his back on God and turning his back on his family, but the power of God transforms him. Don't just say, this. oh, that's sweet. What a great story of, of Kai's redemption or Ben's redemption. No, that's not the point of it. The point of it is to draw our attention to God and his transforming power. He has the ability to transform you. Whitney, filled with fear and damaged by a mother who left her, left her anxious and afraid to trust But God transformed and continues to transform her. Rebecca, the self-righteous girl, proud of her choices, proud of her reputation, and looking down at people that weren't as cool as she was, spiritually cool as she was. But God transformed her and made her intimately aware of her sin and changed her. Rick, the product of an abusive and mean father who turned to drugs and alcohol, met Jesus and was so powerfully transformed that he served his abuser. He bathed his abuser. He cut his abuser's toenails for 10 years. That's the transforming power of God. It's available for every one of us. Stephanie, who's teaching my kids right now about Jesus Christ, Burned by the church and scorned by its leaders, she turns to drugs and alcohol. Shame, fear, and loneliness imprison her. She's alone. Jesus enters in and transforms her. One last verse to read to you. Romans 2, 4. Different translation of it. May the kindness, forbearance, and patience of our God lead us to a transforming repentance that leads us to our sanctification. The kindness and patience and gentleness of our God leading us to transformation. It's here, it's present for you. Be amazed and be changed by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father I thank you for the journey you've taken me on this week I thank you for how you've given me glimpses of your grace and your mercy how you've transformed my heart God will you bring us all This morning, to the place where we're amazed and changed by your grace. Christ's name.